Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person, real or imagined, or the dark forces of Outre-Terre. It is not intended for children. Jack Morrow here. Control, you pulled through for me. The location you sent was not a proper Grand Mason facility, but there were traces of their agent's work. Traces enough to follow from one point to another hound nose to trail. It led me to a government building in Iowa. It stood in the middle of cornfields farther than the horizon. The farmhouses around it were abandoned. They were not even guarded by cameras or dogs. There wasn't even a sign outside or a fence. The facility itself was a concrete squat thing, like a bulldog sleeping with its head between its paws. Randomly, protrusions from the main building sloped up to its flat roof. It was brutalist, and just the right kind of ugly to be completely forgettable. Black windows stared out over golden corn around it. Satellite dishes were scattered across the roof in a haphazard fashion, not all pointing to the expansive sky. I cased the place. Cars, but no one going in or out. The generators were located in the back. I shut them down. Nothing changed. Another Grand Mason haunt without a soul. I kept the generators shut off and made sure the backups wouldn't turn on. Darkness was ever an ally of the foul things of the world, but I didn't want to die to some automatic turret or other defense mechanism. What's more, while I couldn't see in the dark, the average Grand Mason shouldn't either. I had vengeance in my soul and violence burning in my blood. The front door wouldn't open to me. It was wide enough for the Unismasher. I crashed through it without a care in the world. The doors crumpled like tissue paper, but I expected nothing less. I left the Unismasher in the door. It blocked anyone from escaping, but I could pull out if I needed to. The place was untouched. The whole place was dark as pitch. The front desk was smashed to pieces, but no unfortunate secretaries were pinned under the wheels. A pair of elevators bore silent witness to my short-lived rampage. I was disappointed. So far, no alarms ran out. No one poked out their head to see the commotion. Humans love seeing disasters. Nothing came out of the walls to attack me. I ventured further into the quiet and dark facility. This time, there were no signs of anything. I wondered if I had found another dead end. This was a picked clean corpse handed to the paranormal Pinkertons as a chew toy. At least the arson was going to be satisfying. I haven't had the pleasure of burning down a brutalist structure yet. I could put all my arsons into a scrapbook. Gather round, kitties. Papa's got another story to tell. 
I turned several corners. The building layout was simple. The corridors connected to cubicle hells and stark offices never touched. When I left the last cubicle farm, I saw the halls behind me turn into different directions from where I had come. I had been hoping for a bomb or a gunfire or a tiger trap, or at least a ninja, but starving to death kills just as well as anything else. I bring food and a water bottle or two in my cavernous trench coat, but buying myself a couple days isn't the same as escaping to freedom and to life. I kept my cool. First, this wasn't a trap designed to kill me instantly. Likely it was a honeypot for agents from other organizations. Second, panicking would cause me to be sloppy and quicken my death. Third, it was likely there was no watcher here, because that would mean clues that would lead to their own master, which meant no one would interfere. There were several questions. First, what was the nature of the building? Second, was there a pattern to its movements? Third, was it true to the volume that the building squatted on, or was it spatially anomalous? The first was answered by fire. Something rumbled in the distance and the fire extinguishers turned on, dousing the pile of office chairs I stacked in the corner of a meeting room. The building was at least semi-aware of what was going on inside it. Perhaps more animal than concrete. I stabbed the walls and came away with plaster. When I cut some power lines, even though no current ran through them, the building rumbled and showed displeasure. The carpet absorbed the water from the fire extinguishers faster than it would in the natural world. What's more, after this, the lights turned on and stayed on no matter what I did with the switches. They were like the sun on a hot day, always beating down on me, but without the intensity. With the lights, the building kept its awareness on me. The passages twisted a bit more, a right angle became a sloping turn here or there. The building tried to lead me down, but when I felt I was going too deep, I would change my patterns, take a nap not on the carpet, or just wait and do nothing. The hallways always sloped downwards, deeper into the heart of the labyrinth. The deeper I went, the stronger the lights above me buzzed. At times I felt a press on my mind, smooth out the thoughts. It didn't want me to solve its tricks. It wanted me to sit in a cubicle, tap on the unworking or even non-existent computers. It wanted nothing more than to absorb my thoughts and force me into whatever an office drone is. I've seen the yuppies. I've seen their dead eyes. Once I sat in a barcade because nothing else was emptier. I saw men in polos or movie poster shirts talk about nothing or what they thought was something. I paid for the overpriced watered-down slop that barely gave me enough of a buzz to sleep. I tried my hands at the things I had seen and what little media I consumed. It brought me nothing. It was frustrating. Those weaklings would have succumbed here. The buzz of the plaster halls would have dumbed them down to nothing. I could see them wandering down deeper without a thought in their eyes. I didn't have the best grasp of how real things were, but I wondered if the depths were infinite, or just infinite enough to kill a man. Wouldn't matter either way. 
Modernity is a sick thing, but the sickest part of it was the long, slow death. I had to burn this place to the ground, but buildings like this require you to understand them first. No point in burning down the thing's gallbladder. Patterns I couldn't find, but I discovered the building obeyed the rules of its walls. It was not larger on the inside than the outside, other than its eternal drive to get me to go downward. I was able to get close to the entrance, but the closer I got, the more strange and twisty the unbroken corridors of office and blank walls became. It didn't get to me, but it was trying to get to me. The whole building attacked me with its constant watchfulness, its ability to turn things around and make monotony my enemy. A part of me wondered how people could live in this cubicle hell, but another part of me knew that most people did not think about it. Not one bit. The awareness caused pressure on my shoulders at all times. I wanted to run away from it, deeper and deeper into its maw, its horrible, eternal, twisting, monotonous depths. My mind was losing its sharpness, its edge. It felt like I was safe, even when I knew I was not, even with the awareness, which was nothing more than a buzz, I did not feel the danger. I had two choices. I knew that it was likely that others would follow similar clues to this location. I could make good an escape. Or I could burn this thing to the ground, as I've planned from minute one. Being a paranormal Pinkerton is all about personal satisfaction. The pay is kind of bad for this profession. But the benefits? The shining eyes of kids as they watch me stab their boogeyman to death? Worth it. Besides, the kids were going to need therapy whether I disemboweled his boogeyman or not. Since I could prove that I could return near to the location I entered, I wasn't shy about using explosives. I wasn't concerned about my escape. I needed to see if this place had a weakness. If I presumed this thing was like an animal, a Venus fly trap, then I could break down its method, which was to draw people in and then digest them. It would have a system supporting the dull office walls, which I dubbed the throat. I descended down quite a ways. The building was satisfied with me doing that and didn't make my ways difficult. When I judged I was underneath the entrance, I put my plan into action and hit the elevator call button. You see, the Outre-Terre follows rules. One of their big ones is that things have a nature that matches their outside appearances. These are not people who can have differing personalities based on their life experiences. Elves act like elves. Tolkien was not wrong about trolls. Mermaids drown people unless a holy man or woman preaches to them and reaches their dark hearts. It followed that a building-shaped maw would act like a building, including having continuous hallways, logical decor, and most importantly, a respect for elevators. The doors refused to open. 
It was the work of a moment to pry them apart. A skeleton dressed in the tatters of a combat uniform lounged in one corner, half melted into the wall. It was like a high school display that had been absorbed into the wall under a heat lamp. Pieces of plastic, metal, and plaster wrapped around the bone, slowly dragging them into itself. The jaw was open in shock, and the arms grasped at its bonds. I could see where the fingernails had scraped the walls. Around the unfortunate, his scattered weapons, a knife stuck in the floor, and more importantly, something that looked like plastique. I didn't dare enter the car itself. Instead, I hooked a pants leg with one of my knives and pulled it towards me. The clothes came away easily. The harnesses connected to the pants brought the shirt with it. I frisked him. I took his information, Lieutenant John Campbell. I didn't know this name, but he worked for days or the Security Commission. It was probably fake, but an official fake. I'd turn it in when I returned to the Ozarks. The weapons and so on were mine to claim, especially his plastique. John was well-armed for a scouting expedition. I threw the explosives into the elevator car and retreated up as far as I thought reasonable. The explosion was satisfying. Not in the, wow, big flames, but in the, whoomp, feel. The building retched. It shook like a cold sufferer. Several times the building coughed. It reeled back on its foundation and then hopped or shook but once for each cough. The awareness was distracted. I lost no time. I returned to the elevator shaft and found the car gone, but the cables still there. I rappelled down to the bottom floor. The doors struggled with me, but they were made to be opened. The basement floor was soft. My boots sunk into it and left red welts wherever I walked. I wore gloves but pressed my pinky finger against the floor, and it burned a little to touch it. If I took a picture, all it would show would be a basement hallway. Perhaps the edges weren't as sharp on the electrical boxes, or the pipes a little... bulging. My goal was simple. If this place had a fire extinguishing system, it had a source to it. I will refer to that as a spleen. I had pulled some grenades off the dead agent, as well as my own motley collection of lesser explosives. I was going to blow up the building's spleen. It was going to satisfy something deep within me. Unlike above, the hallways did not move. The pipes rhythmically pulsed in time to a 4-4 beat. I was in some portion of the circulatory system. The human body has all sorts of gaps in it. This would be no different. The awareness of the beast I dove into came back. It was angry. I could feel it. I heard the slither of blades on flesh come near. I had the shotgun ready. A centipede, the feet like razors, crawled out of a vent. I blasted its head away the second I saw it. It looked like a centipede, but its head was like a drill. It screeched and it writhed. It wanted nothing more to jam its head into me, to eat me, inside out, core me like an apple. I ran, leaving the area as a centipede thrashed within its hole. The building shook in pain. More centipedes crawled out from their little hidey holes. 
My 1887 made short work of them. The earthquake of this monster's agony grew, but I wasn't satisfied with killing it. I wanted it to suffer. I had only found one body, but that didn't matter. This thing intended to kill more. Slowly, fully, digesting them over days when they succumbed to hunger. The ground rolled and rippled as if a stone had been dropped into water. I ran carefully and kept my sea legs. God looked out for me, and I turned the corner to find the largest cluster of pipes I had seen yet. There were valves, pressure gauges, and more studying this thing. I could hear liquids pushing through it. I didn't know if this was its spleen, but I wasn't going to complain if I found its heart. I killed another centipede and hooked up my bandolier of grenades and whatever else I took from the dead man in the elevator. I even put the man's magazines at random places just to see if it would increase the damage. I couldn't use his ammunition anyway, but I put it to good use. That done, I waited for the building to settle down. The centipedes were gathered in front of me. They no longer came slowly but quickly. Their razor feet tearing up the fleshy concrete and pipes, causing steam and water to spray out like a power washer's blast. I ran backwards, prepared my last grenade, and then threw it into the little nest of explosives. I got around the corner just in time. The blast jarred my teeth and sent me tumbling, but the building felt it more. Blood and water and strange clear liquid like oil flooded the hallway. I ran, slipping and falling over every little thing in my way. The centipedes ran away, fleeing something, screeching in terror. I made it to the elevator and pulled myself up. Even as I did, the liquid filled up the elevator shaft below me. If I had time, I could just float my way to the top. But the building monster had other plans. It moved. I don't mean the shaking. I mean it was trying to escape. I heard scraping and smashing and a rhythm of something trying to get out of bed. I made the first floor and pried open the doors. The halls to my right were vomiting. Computers, chairs, and desks had globbed into something like snot. The entrance I had smashed was rising above the parking lot and shaking back and forth, choking. In turn, the kipple behind me gathered. Unismasher was trapped in the beast's maw. I ran for my car and got in it. I didn't want to drown in cubicle nonsense. I hit reverse, but the carpet tore without me getting a good grip. I had my seatbelt on just in time to protect me from the vomit that hit my front fender and pushed the car out over the parking lot. I landed on the tarmac and reversed, ramping a drainage ditch and hitting the cornfields behind. I watched the building rise up, spitting all the detritus of an office like a man spitting out a bitter drink. And then it reared back like the whole building was a horse on its hind legs. What I took for different sections of brutalist structure became arms or four limbs while the legs were leathery towers. The underbelly of the thing was like an elephant's wrinkled skin, and I could see the holes where liquid poured out of it like I had holed its guts. It slammed down, sending Unismasher off of its wheels and nearly three feet straight up into the air. 
Dirt flew everywhere. The Unismasher could still run, and I reversed as a tidal wave of dirt followed me back as the beast swam into the earth, deeper and deeper until the wave became a moving hill, and then a ripple, and then nothing. I really hope I killed it. I contacted Days and asked them about John Campbell. They didn't tell me, which is fine. He might be security commission. Either way, we'll see what happens. I'm on my way back to the Ozarks. My mother left me a decent amount of stuff to decode. Since we don't have the manpower to do the draw boxes right now, I'll contact you when I'm closer to my home territory. A part of me has been satisfied. My mind feels clear. Thank you for the leads, controls, and let me know when another target of opportunity pops up. I'm ready for the next batch of trainees, by the way. I found an old, old friend. <laughs> friend. Jack Morrow. Out. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio. Licensed under an attribution non-commercial Share alike international license. This episode was written by Ben Wheeler and is performed by the same. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Kim Dickerson performs our audio editing. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on superversivesf.com, or listen to us on unauthorized Acast, iTunes, or Spotify. Contact us through Twitter at, at Pinkerton's Ghosts, email us at Pinkerton's Ghosts at gmail.com, or send us noble messenger possums with messages strapped to their backs. Don't worry, they know how to find us. Thank you for listening, and good luck.